Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. You guys know the deal. Uh, Scentlock, in my opinion, stands above everyone else because of their carbon technology for maximum odor absorption. They've built a full toolkit for bow hunters in their BE1 series. And if you look at the blocker outdoor side of things owned by the same people, Nexus Outdoors, they are anything out west in Turkey. So right now, if you're gearing up for turkey season, um, I would definitely check out Blocker Outdoors because they will certainly take care of you in the turkey woods. I've got a special guest on the phone, Brent Henderson. Brent, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing good. Good to be with you. Now, how long have you uh, have you been a bear archery shooter? <laughs> now, as far as being on pro stuff or being a shooter? Anything. How long right. have you had a bear bow in your hands? Uh, you really want the answer to that? It would be 53 years. 53 years. Yeah, and I'm, only, there... and I'm only 35. Yeah, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> has, has it, so have you been with Bear for straight 53 years? You've no, shot no, Bear no, no. I, I, you know, my dad took me to see Fred Bear when I was eight years old. He was speaking for like a game dinner, kind of like a lot of the kind of same things that I do now. And at the age of eight, I was watching his video of shooting that Kodiak, and I just I went home and I said, I want a fiberglass bare bow for Christmas. And it was eight degrees below zero, mom said. And I had a cardboard box out back and I drew a big bear face with fangs. And I, mom said, I stayed out there and shot it for hours. And uh, I've been a bear wow. fan ever since. I've been with bear since 2006. Awesome, man. Awesome. What brought you to bear archery? What was the, what was the appeal? In 2006, yeah. what made you think mm -hmm. like bears who I want to be with? You know, there's something about when you raise a child with something, it's in them and it, and it creates that adventure when they're young. It, it yeah. just it forms something inside of you. And so for me, I've always kind of looked at adventure and bear kind of synonymous. They, they, they kind of have always gone together in my head because of what I saw Fred Bear doing. And it, right. it made everything inside of me tick. So it wasn't a hard sell to come back. I was shooting uh, Hoyt before that. But in 2006, they came out with a new uh, bow called the Code. And at the time, I had started an archery ministry when I was living back in Pennsylvania. And, you know, everyone was shooting the Matthews. Hey, it's 300 feet out of the box and all that kind of stuff. And, and I picked up the Code and I shot it and I went, man, this feels really good in my hands. And so I ended up uh, working with a guy who used to be the, uh, the founder of Whitetail University. And he said, you know, I've, I am a, I'm a writer as well. He said, let me put you in contact with Bear. And so I wrote an article on the code. And the next thing you know, I wrote one on the truth one and the truth two. And 
I just really fell in love and became a part of the pro staff through all that and uh, been with them ever since. Awesome, man. So I got to ask you with, with bear archery's new slogan, the Fred bear way, um, not new slogan anymore. Uh, a couple years old now, I guess, but what is that? How does that statement ring with you? Like, what does that bring out in you to, to be a part of the Fred bear way? You know, when I, I go back and, and honestly, I was watching one of his videos yesterday. Um, it was, I think it was 1957. He gets off the beaten path. He doesn't go where everybody else is going. And whenever you see him get there, he's always surrounded by his friends. So community was really important to him. And then when he gets there, you always see him practicing with his buddies before they ever go out into the field. So there's an excellence. There's that getting beyond where most guys would go. Um, and again, that sense of family and just being prepared. I mean, being in an environment, you have to know what you are doing. I've been I've been shipwrecked 40 miles off the coast of Alaska. I've been caught in downwashes and surrounded by water in the mountains of Colorado. I mean, just if you don't, if you're not on your A game, um, you're in a world of hurt. And that's one of the things, the Fred Bear way, when I think about it, he always stood for excellence. And whenever he went into an environment, he knew what he was up against. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of guys now you just see them kind of just jump on their four wheeler. They practice the weekend before they go out and it's just a totally different mindset to do it the Fred bear way. Yeah. One thing that I, and obviously I can't speak, um, from firsthand experience, but somebody told me, um, I believe it was Fred Eichler told me that, uh, Fred bear was a smoker, but he would never smoke on camera because he wanted to represent the sport of archery better than that. And he didn't want to influence kids in that way. And I was like, man, that like, to me, when I, I had never thought about it that way, but I'm like, man, the Fred bear way is to truly represent archery in a way that is encouraging to everybody, you yeah. know, no matter what you shoot or how you shoot it, whether you shoot recurve longbow compounds, crossbows, whether you shoot with your fingers or release, whether you shoot, you know, four fletch, three fletch, like whether you shoot, you know, I mean, everything that we get divided on the Fred bear way is, is just to represent archery in a way that will benefit everyone yeah. and, and be beneficial for everyone. And, and that right there, that statement that, that I believe it was Fred Eichler. If it wasn't that told me, I'm sorry, but, um, for, for somebody to represent archery in such a way that they don't want to put anybody off to it. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, what we do off camera is as important as what we do on camera when we're representing not just a company, but who we are as a person. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that respect that I had for him as a kid, it was a really big influence. And I think for all of us, we can take a good look in the mirror and go, you know, is the example that I'm setting one that I would want my own kids or some child who's looking up to me to want to follow in those footsteps? You know, yeah, what's absolutely. amazing, my, my dad wasn't a, a hunter, but my dad would always go with me. That left a big impact in my life and I will never forget. I, matter of fact, I wrote a song years ago called Love is Spelled Time, T-I-M-E, in the eyes of a child, love is spelled time. And it really came out of that because of all the things, you know, my dad wasn't an athlete. You know, he wasn't an outdoorsman, but he knew I loved it and he would always take me. And that that was a huge part of my life. Yeah. I mean, you, you just said it perfectly. Just, just last night. I ran into a situation. Obviously, I wasn't on camera. I wasn't on a podcast. I wasn't in the eyes of anyone else. Um, we were out at my in-laws getting ready for this stupid garage sale that I agreed to do. Um, 
and my kids run inside and there's like they're like there's a raccoon there's a raccoon and i'm like okay and and i like i walk outside the door and they're like next like i couldn't see the raccoon but the sense that i got was it was right there and i'm like why is it letting you get this close to it so i go over and it was wounded it couldn't get up yeah um it couldn't move and my kids are freaking out of course three and five they're like oh dad save the coon or whatever right and, right and i'm like hey b that's what i call my father-in-law i'm like do i need your 22 and my kids like what no 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 what are you gonna do and and i'm like you know it was a huge lesson in ethics right at that point yeah. like we don't want it to die and i'm like well sweetheart you don't want it to lay here and suffer either um you i mean that's that's us that's what we as hunters do you know we don't want an animal mm -hmm. to suffer we don't want it to lay here i mean it can't move its legs obviously it's it's i don't know what had happened to it i don't know but but and so we shot it and my, my little girl cried for a minute and she, she said, I miss it. And I'm like, you miss it. You never knew it. But anyway, um, it was that moment where we don't have to represent so much. We get this idea of representing archery and hunting on a social media platform or a TV show or a podcast in some ethical way. And then we forget that when we're alone off camera or, you know, to continue to teach those ethics yeah. and to continue to demonstrate what it looks like to be a, a sportsman uh, in every sense of the term. And so, I mean, that's a perfect example. Uh, and that just happened last night. Um, you know, I, I was thinking when you said that, it brought back a memory of, you know, one thing, you know, as being on a pro staff, we practice, right? We want to be ethical. We want to be professional and everything. But as much as you practice and as much as you, when you're in your tree stand, for instance, a little branch can blow in the wind a little bit and get in the way and, and cause a deflection of an arrow. It happens to everybody if you bow hunt long enough. And I love animals. I mean, I absolutely do. And so that's why I take it very seriously when I'm practicing and everything I'm doing. But I had, you know, an instance happened and it, it had been many, many years since this had happened, but I, I wounded a whitetail this year. And, you know, he only went about 15 yards away, but he was behind a tree and I couldn't get a shot at him. And I knew when the, when the arrow had hit a branch as he was walking through, it deflected back. And I'm like, oh man. And you, you know, that feeling, it's a sick feeling you feel because you don't want to wound an animal. I mean, that's something that you, is a right. hunter. You know, there's a difference between a hunter and a killer. And I always hope that I find myself on the hunter side. And I, I uh, texted my buddy and I said, Hey, listen, I said, I know that this, this deer, he, he laid down and I knew he was wounded. And I said, I, I'm not sure what to do here, but I don't want to get up too soon because if I push him, I'm afraid he's not going to leave a good trail here and I'm going to lose him. And I said, for the sake of the animal and for the sake of, you know, making sure that I'm being ethical and, and not having to, you know, kill something that I wasn't able to tag. And I said, I'm going to give him just a little bit of time here. And I just kept watching his body language until I knew that I could go ahead and slowly make my way out of the tree to get the shot. And man, it just, it's something like you just said, you realize the situation and you've got to do the right thing. And so for me, it was not pushing the animal to where I knew I was going to lose it. And uh, it just, again, it's one of those things sometimes that makes you rethink everything. And sometimes those are some of the best lessons, because when we see a difficult circumstance, I always say challenges are gifts. That sometimes those challenges make us take a little more time on the next shot to make sure yeah. you know, that we have the path we need and all that. Yeah. Now, we we have dove into our conversation a little too quick um give me an introduction to yourself man what all you do kind of how you got there where it all started um your your intro into you know what you're doing now uh, yeah. tell us about you man 
Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania, a uh, little town called Rocky Grove. Uh, you know, we were right on the Allegheny River. And after high school, I went to work in the steel mill for several years. And then I finally decided, you know, I wanted to, to go to school. You know, music was a big part of my mom's life. You know, she was a choir director in the church for, I mean, as long as I could remember. But growing up in that kind of an environment, I was like, guys singing? I'm not doing that. You know, that kind of a deal. But I could. And so when I went to college, uh, my roommate, who had been in the Navy, he, he said, man, why don't you come over and, and audition for some of these music programs? And I'm like, man, he said, no. He goes, I mean, you, you play piano, you play trumpet, you play guitar, you, you sing. Why don't you go sing? Well, I ended up being in a practice room one night at college my, my freshman year. And I was in there playing a song and singing, and this knock came on the door. And I opened the door, and this guy comes in with his guitar, and he had his brother with him. And he said, hey, can we sing a few songs together? And I'm like, yeah. So we just kind of started doing some stuff. And he said, man, I'd love to be able to form a, a group with you. He said, I'm just new here to college. And the guy's name was Steve Chapman. And so we began, you know, we made a group called the Chapman Henderson and we toured for about three years together. And, uh, you know, for any of the guys out there that would know Christian music, you probably know him now better by the name of Stephen Curtis Chapman. And so we toured for three years. And, you know, he's been the most award-winning, you know, artist in Christian music out there. Um, so that's kind of where the beginnings came in. You know, after that, I toured with a lady named Sandy Patty for five years. Uh, she was really big in the Christian music industry. And I recorded several, you know, albums on my own with Word Records and Discovery House. And being a songwriter, all those things. And then I went to a church for a while, for about five years, and I was the music pastor, men's ministry pastor. But everything brought me back to my roots um, at some point in my life, probably when I was, it was around 2006. Hunting was my passion. Outdoors, reaching men, being able to speak into their hearts, to get kids back into the woods rather than being on, you know, Playstations or Xboxes or whatever, to get that adventure back in. So that's kind of my my story, um, you know, from what I I grew up with, what I did and to what I do now. And, you know, now, you know, I'm, I'm an author. I write books. Uh, the last one is called The Roar Within with Baker Books. And I speak for a lot of game dinners and, you know, men's retreats and things like that. So <clears throat> I got to ask you. Do you ever kick yourself like, man, I should have kept playing with Stephen Curtis Chap? <laughs> no, no. He and I have stayed friends. You know, I mean, it's it's in the, in this last book that I wrote, I talk about purpose. And I think one of the most important things we have to discover really is what was I made for rather than being trying to be someone else. If we could all figure out what we are good at, what we do best, what we're called to, what we feel that sense of purpose, that that thing that we can't not do because it's within us. That's what that's what gives us the whole feeling of, of being alive. And, you know, and I always say, no matter what you do, your calling is going to be to add value to other people. When I'm speaking for events and I'm talking about bare bows to these young kids or other men out there, I'm trying to add value to them. I'm going to help make them be successful, not just in the, the manufacturer's name, but in the quality of it, but also teaching them how to be able to not be seen, not be heard, not be smelled, you know, all those things. So I think purpose is, is huge. Um, so yeah, I mean, Steve's a good friend. I have utmost respect for him, but I love, you know, what God made me to do. One of my, uh, one of my buddies posted not too long ago, a picture. And, uh, it was just like a, like a every day, like you, a picture you would take with your, uh, a buddy. And I'm like, wait a second, is that stinking Stephen Curtis Chapman? And I call him. I'm like, dude, did you just take a picture of Stephen Curtis Chapman? He's like, 
Dude, I was literally eating breakfast like in a little restaurant and he walks in and sits at the table across from me. And uh and he's a he's a big singer and, and preacher. And um uh, my wife's family actually has traveled the country and sung their entire life. That's what they do. And uh so so he's a big singer and he's like, and I just walked over and took a picture with him. <laughs> and he's real so, like that. He's he is what you see when you see him on a you know on television or on stage. That's who he is. He's just real. Now, you know, I get that question a lot, and, and I, I think you just answered it really well. Um, of that question of Dylan, how do I, how do I go full time in the outdoor industry, or how do I make a living out of podcasting, or you know, working for Pope and Young, or or whatever? And I just tell people right off the bat, I'm like, well, your purpose will be driven by a passion. Like, yes. like yeah. you're you're if you're not passionate about something, it's probably not your purpose. And what, what gave me the opportunity to, to do outdoor to work in the outdoor industry for a living is the passion that I had behind it. And, and, you know, same with ministry. I mean, you know, I'm a youth pastor. I'm passionate about youth ministry. Otherwise that wouldn't be my purpose. Um, And so I would just say, look at your passions in life and let that drive you to your purpose. Um, no matter what it is, you know, some people are super passionate about fitness. And so then they take a, a, a some sort of fitness industry lifestyle and work in the fitness industry. Doesn't mean you don't love to hunt, but if your number one passion is fitness, work in fitness. If your number one passion is photography, work in photography and, and then let your secondary passions drive that secondary purpose. What I mean by that is if your primary purpose or your primary passion is photography and then your secondary passion is hunting, well, then you can look at hunting photography or outdoor photography or, or something along those lines. Um, and that's why I think, that's why I say you described it perfectly because your number one passion is reaching men and reaching people and then the outdoors. And so you do, yeah. you reach men with the outdoors. And so, um, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, when you, when you find that, passion that you have and you know what it is because it's that thing you can't not do um, and you learn how to prioritize it and, and you know make sure you're putting the time into it I mean there's incredible things that can happen and I, and I don't necessarily talk on monetarily on that because I've never thought about you know what am I going to do as how much money does it make it's does it make me happy am I adding value to other people because when I can when I can do that with others, there's a reward that comes back to me from that satisfaction. And like, like I do have a purpose here. I've said to you know my kids, don't just think about how much money you're going to make when you go to either pick your degree or after you get out and you're looking for a job. Is this something you really are passionate about? Because if it is, you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, we jumped in a little too quick and I forgot. Let me give a quick thank you to our friends. Brand new sponsor of the podcast, Forerunner Blinds. They are, first off, Christian-owned and operated. Um, but secondly, they make the most phenomenal blinds I've ever found in my entire life. And very few times does a product come along where I can truly say that. Um, but these blinds, go to forerunnerblinds.com, check out their blinds. They are built out of powder-coated aluminum framing. They've got a soft, soft-sided shell around them. They've got the biggest corners and the biggest windows in the industry, so you can shoot them, uh, you know, with compounds, recurves, whatever you want to. Um, 
but what makes them unique and special is they've got wheels on the sides that you can pop down and, and they're big wheels. Um, I don't know, 22 inches, maybe they're big wheels. You pop them down and they've got a, it's got a trailer hitch on the front and you can pull that with a full wheeler, an e-bike. You know, I pull it with my back mule all the time. Um, you can, you can drag those things to the woods and relocate them with ease. And they're phenomenal. It, it, it really, I got rid of four ground blinds and just use this because I can pull it from spot to spot and I don't have to do a lot of work. I pull my bike up, hook it up, pull it across the farm, set it. Um, really, really cool, unique design. Go check out Forerunner Blinds because they are phenomenal. Brent, you said something that I want to loop back to, and, and I'm not going to answer the question because I don't want to get flack over it, so you have to. Um, you said, you said, when you were talking about that deer, you said something that sparked a question, and it was, you know, you didn't want to kill an animal that you couldn't put your tag on. And I was watching Meat Eater not so long ago, and he decided, he shot an elk, tracked it for however long, and he decided to go ahead and punch his tag um, because he thought the elk would die. <clears throat> this is a really tough question. Let me go ahead and say this before we dive into the to the ethics of this. I don't. If I shoot a whitetail and I don't find it, and, and I've exhausted everything that I can in order to find it, and I don't, I don't put my tag on it. What's your thoughts on that? You know, that's a... That's a, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Um, let me, okay. I will answer it. I guess. Let me, let me, let me make this easier on you. I believe it all comes down to the hunter. Um, I believe it all comes down to where you're hunting, what you're hunting. If it's your own personal farm, I believe it's completely up to you, uh, because you're managing the herds, you know, your herds. Um, now, and the reason I say it's completely up to the hunter is because there's no law on this, at least not in the states I hunt. If there are laws in your states, uh, I apologize that I, I'm not familiar with those. But at least in the in the states that I hunt, there's no law behind it. So therefore, there's nothing that makes it ethically wrong for me to not put my tag on it or ethically correct to put my tag on it. Um, I, I applaud people who do that. I mean, I understand your reasoning behind it. I choose not to. Because I didn't take the meat, I didn't take the the game, I didn't I didn't take it from the earth. Um, so whether it does live, fantastic. And if it does die, it goes right back to the earth. It goes right back to feeding other animals, other creatures. Um, so I didn't take the animal out of the elements and take it home. That being said, this is only if I've exhausted every effort in finding yes. the animal. I've yep. called in blood dogs. I've called in. I've spent hours. I've went and I've called buddies and I've grid searched. I've done everything I can to find the deer. If I don't find it at that point, I keep hunting. Yeah. You know, I think it comes down to the individual because you don't want to walk away with shame or guilt. It's that whole thing of, do I have a piece about this? Of course, we feel remorse for what happened. Yeah. Um, but things do happen. And so I think it comes back down to if you have a piece about it, then I think that's one of your best compass. Uh, you know, you're going to you're going to look at that and go, man, I just don't feel good about this. Well, then don't because you're going to you're going to have to walk away with that. But if you feel like a piece, you did everything you absolutely could, then you move on. Right. No, agreed. And that was that was a really hard lesson. And I can talk about her as much as she wants because she never listens to my podcast. Uh, but that was a hard lesson my wife had to learn this year. She shot a doe and uh, I saw the footage. Looks beautiful. I saw the footage. I'm like, ah, I think that deer's dead. 
Um, but we did everything. Couldn't find it. Yeah. And uh, that was a Saturday night. And so the next Sunday morning after I went Sunday morning before church, I'm like, I'm going to go look for that deer. And she's like, are you serious? We looked for hours last night. I'm like, I've got to, you know, daylight can bring a whole lot of different things into perspective. And that says a lot about you. Yeah. And that's what we need in this industry is we need hunters, not killers. Yeah. And and it was just a hard lesson for her to learn. uh, Not only of we're not going to find it, but of I'm going to spend as long as it takes until I feel like I've done everything I can. Yeah. Um, you know, there was this whole big deal of it going on to somebody else's property and we've had run-ins with the guy before and I'm like, I need to call him and tell him. And she was like, no, it's, it's my dear blah, blah. And I'm like, well, we do have right to search. Um, Kansas is a right to search state. I do have the right to search, but, I need to call them. And and it was just that whole like learning process of we have to do everything we can to find this deer. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it's just a doe. It doesn't matter if it's just a, 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 it doesn't matter. We have to do everything we can in order to find that animal. Um, and then if we do find it and it's still alive to put it out of its misery, we, we have to, it's our job. It's our duty. And I think that goes order. back to what you said earlier. What's the Fred bear way? I think, you know, I don't know what he would have done in those circumstances. I can only, you know, imagine. But I think, like we've said earlier, the morals, the ethics of how we want to be viewed and how we want to view ourselves is important. You know, when I'm when I'm speaking, one of the things I always talk about is one of the reasons why we struggle so much is because we're worried so much about what other people think about us and how well we perform. And at the end of the day, the only one that you have to really worry about is not somebody else. It really is the one that made you. And uh, if I can walk in peace with that, I'm good. Absolutely. Um, What's your, uh, what's your upcoming hunts look like? You getting ready for turkey season? Got turkey coming up. I got to do a two night game dinner in Michigan uh, next Thursday and Friday. Turkey comes in here on Wednesday. So I'm going to try to get out Wednesday. I'm trying to get my new uh, refined setup. I just got it, you know, and the box came last week and I've got to get it set up and tuned. But I've got a couple other bows, too, if I'm not ready with that. But I'll hunt Wednesday. Uh, then I'll go back out the following week if I haven't taken a turkey on Wednesday. Um, I've got, you know, elk coming up and, of course, a lot of whitetail hunting. You know, elk won't be until September. But I'm speaking yeah. all over. I mean, I'll be in Idaho. I'll be in Alaska. I'll be in Colorado. There's just all over the country speaking. Um, now, where know, is it that you're currently located right now? Uh, I live in the land of no adventure. <laughs> it's uh Anderson, Indiana. It's kind of central Indiana, north of Indianapolis, about 45 minutes. No adventure. You've never been to Kansas, have you? Oh, I drive across Kansas every year, buddy. If it wasn't for whitetail and turkey, I don't even know why that state would exist. There, If you want to go out and adventure, all you can do is like walk a wheat field. It's like, hey, you want to go walk in the wheat fields? You know, I grew up, which it's it, it was hard for me. It was a hard adjustment because I grew up in northwest Arkansas uh, in the Ozark Mountains. You could go, you could in 34 seconds, you could be riding awesome mountain bike trails. You could be rock climbing. You could be, and, and I'm yeah. talking natural rock climbing, not like in a, in a, you know, a indoor place. You could be rock climbing. You could be whitewater rafting. You could be Lord, anything, you name it. You could be, you know, bouldering in caves. I mean, you could be doing all this stuff in a matter of minutes. And then my wife moved me to the godforsaken state of Kansas. And I'm like, <laughs> what is there to do? You know, and I had a kayak at the time. Like, I want to, I want to find, I want to go kayaking. She's like, yeah, the river is right over here. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really cool. Let's go. 
and I go and uh, they call it the Arkansas River, the Arkansas River. And it's about yay wide and about this deep. And it's just stagnant, nasty water. And I'm like, for real, this is what you guys got for water. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's no adventure here for sure. You know, I'm, I grew up in Pennsylvania, like kind of like what you did with the, you know, the mountains and everything and great trout fishing and muskie and bear and turkey and deer and all that. And I come to central Indiana and it's just cornfields like Kansas, you know, wheat fields, cornfields. But, you know, I've been learning something that is if I get plugged in where I'm at, my uh, what's what I say, I just begin to thrive. I was always wanted to write a book called Grow Where You're Planted. I haven't done it yet because many of us end up being in, you know, in places that we wouldn't necessarily be our first choice. Somebody might want Tahiti or they would want, you know, Anchorage or wherever. But if I keep wishing I was somewhere else, I never really get plugged into where I am. And I think if you can develop friendships where you are, maybe some of your buddies that love to hunt that want to get out there and you've got, we talked about purpose. That's a big part of this. You know, purpose isn't just about maybe what that that calling is. It's about the relationships. I mean, you're a youth pastor. You know how important those relationships are. And uh, when I get plugged into that, that's really what life is all about. Because when you die, it's not going to be how many big bucks you shot or, you know, how many rivers you kayak. It's going to be back down. What impact did you leave in this life? Yeah, absolutely, man. And that goes back to to fulfilling that purpose. If you're not happy where you're at, if you can't find some sort of contentment, then you'll never fulfill it, whatever it is that you're wanting to fulfill. Um, you know, I've seen guys I've, I've talked to, I'm not going to name any names, but I talked to a professional fisherman and, uh, and that was his whole deal. He was like, man, I was a school teacher. I got offered to go on a tour and he told my, he told his wife, he's like, I got to do it for one year. Like I've got to know, I've, I've got to know what it's like to be on the pro tour and be a pro fisherman. And that's why I'm not going to name any names because he blew up. Um, and he, $400,000 in the first year, he's like, I better keep doing this, you know? And, uh, I was talking to him and he's like, dude, it's like, he was so miserable. He's like, it's literally a job. Like I don't get, I don't fish for fun anymore. And, yeah. and I'm like, man, you've, you've lost it. You know what I mean? Like you've, you've lost that, 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 purpose-driven passion because you can't find that happiness in it. You can't find, I'm sitting on the water fishing while everybody else is sitting at a desk. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, can't be bought. You can't, you can't yep. train it. You can't, they can't teach you that. And, and training it at, I mean, you have to just be able to find happiness in whatever it is you're doing. And, and for me, you know, guys like, man, how do you put up with traveling so much? How do you, you got to go to all these mountain archery fest events. You got to go to all these, you know, conventions and ATA and shot show and sheep week. And you got to go to all these things. And I'm like, because when I'm home, I shoot my bow for two hours a day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? How do I, and, and so I've just found that I'm so passionate about archery and about hunting. Um, how could I not be happy? How could I not find joy in this? And, uh, you know, it, that's just the, that's just the short end of it. You know what I mean? I think, you know, with me, you know, all those years of music, those were fun years. You know, I sang commercials, you know, for Coca-Cola and AT&T and all kinds of things for years too back then. But when God, you know, had a way of moving me back to where my passion was, um, it resonated. And so I, I travel. I've been traveling my whole life. People always say, don't you ever get tired of traveling? I'm like, honestly, no. 
because I can't wait to see what's around the next bend. I can't wait for that next adventure. Who God's going to bring me in contact with? You know, it was funny when I when I wrote the book before this was called Into the Wilds. And when I was writing the the new one, I don't know if you know Chris Parrish or not. I do. But yeah. So he and I were talking at the ATA show a couple of years ago. And I said, you know, I'm working on a new book. And I just happened to mention to him, I go, you know, who had a big impact on my life growing up, you know, with hunting and television was Will Primos. I said, he just seemed, you know, really down to earth. And his hunts were all about the fun and the family. And it was never about the animal. It was about the relationship. And I walked away from that conversation, thought it was over with. And about we'd be a year ago last October, you know, it was right when the whole COVID thing would hit hit. And I was working on this new book. My phone rings on an October afternoon. I'm watching a little bit of college football. And I pick up my phone and I and I I looked at the phone number, didn't recognize it. And I think oh, that way, well, it's probably a booking. Someone's calling, you know, book a game dinner or retreat. And I said, hello. And I hear this. Is this Brant? <sighs> you know, immediately who it was by that accent. And I went, OK, someone's punking me here. And it was Will. And he calls me, he says, you know, Chris Parrish. And I said, I do know Chris. He said, well, he told me you've got a, a book you're working on that you might like to have me possibly, you know, take a look at it and give an endorsement. And he said, you know what? I'd be more than happy to do that. Wow. He says, if you send me the file, he kept calling me back for weeks as he was reading this thing, just processing it, gave me a great endorsement. And, you know, those are the adventures, those things that you never know. It's like when you're hunting, you don't know what's going to come up on you next. It could be, it could be 120 inch or it could be 180 inch. Life has a way. If we stick in the game and we're passionate and love what we do, it just seems like there's these opportunities that come around that just blow us away. And man, I, I, I love this life. I love being a part of Bear. I love the outdoors. It's It's been a good ride. For me, it's usually the 120 inches that pop up. And usually I'm still stoked and I usually still shoot them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's the ego. There's, there's another topic, man. Should I shoot 120 or should I be doing quality deer management? That's up to you. You know what? I, I made a post not too long ago and I caught a little bit of flat. Um, many guys that listen to this podcast do know that I work for Pope and Young. So I caught a little bit of flat from the Pope and Young crowd, but I made a post saying, um, and it was a picture of the last year I shot. And I said, everybody wants to shoot a 180, but nobody wants to pass up the 120s and laughing faces. I don't, I don't pass up the 120s and uh, people are, you know, yeah, amen. Shoot what you want to, whatever. And then some people are like, let them grow. I mean, you know, right. the, the keyboard warriors, and then you go to their page and they've shot a doe and caught one yeah. fish in their life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, anyways, so yeah, I mean, that's shoot whatever in the heck you want. It's your tag. Um, I don't care what you shoot. Uh, I don't care if you fill your tag on a fork and horn, if it's legal where you hunt. Um, and I told my wife that very thing. And I managed the property that she was hunting on very well. And I manage it strictly. But at the same point, I'm not going to run her hunt by saying, babe, listen, here's your bucks you can shoot. Here's your bucks you can't shoot. Yeah. I said, sweetheart, if a deer comes in and it gets your heart pumping, shoot it. And she said, I said, do you want to wait for a buck or do you want to shoot a doe? And she said, I'm going to wait for a buck. And I said, okay. Doe comes out. And she said, never mind. I'm not waiting. And she shot it. <laughs> and she shot a doe. That plan went out the window. And that's fine. Whatever yeah. you want to shoot, it's your tag. Fill it. And at the end of the day, who in the heck cares what anybody else thinks? That's right. Gotta, you don't report to anybody else. Yeah. I've got and a when trophy you about, When you think a whitetail can smell 10,000 times better than, than we do, to not be seen, heard, or smelled, to be able to fold them in their environment, to put it all together, any whitetail is a trophy. 
So it is, it is it is up to you. If you've done it all right and that's important and the story is great, everything you've got, man, that's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got a in my basement, I, I I've had several people mention it now. Um, but they'll walk through and they're like, dude, that's a nice whitetail. No, that's a nice deer, man. That's not, yeah, that's cool. Why did you shoot that one? And why did you mount that one? Right. And I'm like, well, little do you know, that was my first deer with a bow and it was shot in Northwest Arkansas where that deer is a giant. Right. Um, and and they just don't get like trophies at different times of your life. Don't equate to trophies at other times in your life. And, and I, I have this little term that I like to tell people and that's know your trophy. Um, know what you're chasing, know, know what an animal is. I don't want to say know it's worth because they're all worth a lot, but, um, for instance, if I'm hunting Northwest Arkansas and 110 walks out, I'm popping it immediately. If I'm in Kansas and 110 walks out, man, that's a pretty deer. Let it walk, let it ride. You know, um, you have to know where you're hunting. And then so many guys hold out for a 180 and all they've got on their properties is 120s. You know, so many guys are like, man, I'm still chasing after that first booner or whatever. And I'm like, but your property only holds 120s and 130s. Like, you're not going to shoot a booner there. And you have to just know that. Like, you have yeah, to ex- yeah. expe- accept that and just know what that 130 is worth where you're hunting. And um, I think having game cameras yeah. now, that's so nice because we do, we can't get a good assessment of what we have around us. Absolutely, man. Like, there's places where a 120 means more to me than a 170 other places. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in Northwest Arkansas, 130 inch deer, if I kill 130 inch deer, that means more to me, or that's, that's a bigger trophy for where I was hunting and what I was hunting than a 160 in Kansas. Um, not saying the 160 in Kansas doesn't fire me up a little more, but right. you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and people have to understand like, Quit expecting to kill trophies like Will Primos because you don't hunt on the same properties as Will Primos. That's right. That's Quit right. expecting to shoot the same things that Lee and Tiffany shoot or that because you don't hunt the same places they hunt. Um, and, and you just have to you have to accept that. Yeah. You have to look at yourself and go, what is acceptable to me? And like we said, if if it's the story and, and fooling all their senses and you put it all together, man, more power to you. I don't yeah. I don't want to lose my passion for hunting. Absolutely. hundred percent. And that's why Fred Eichler is one of my favorite people, uh, because you'll see him, he'll shoot a doe and he'll like lose his mind, like just excited, jumping for joy. Holy chowder. Uh, you know, just losing everything about who he is. And I'm like, it's a doe. And here's Fred Eichler who's completed the super slam and he's still fired up about a doe. And I never want to lose that feeling. You know, I had a, a story happen to me. I don't know if you got just a second here, but it, it was powerful. I was out in Colorado a couple of years ago. And, you know, being with Bear Archery, all my sponsorships were in archery. And it was one morning I came out and uh, my buddies were going, why aren't you already out? I had about a about a mile, over a mile to get to a blind I had set up near a spring where I was going to be elk hunting. And I had a bear tag as well, but it was the last day of the hunt. And I had taken a rifle along with me because if we've all filled our tags by the end of the week, we'll get our rifles out and we'll put targets out there, two, three, four, five hundred yards and see who can you know hit the best. And, so that morning I went out and my got my bow out and I felt this voice was dark say to me, I want you to take your gun. And I'm going, why would I take my gun? Everything is an archery. And in my mindset, everything was about listening to the voice of sponsors. Make sure you have this camo on, this, you know, whatever, this scent control, you know, this arrow, this broadhead, this bow. And this voice said to me again, I want you to take your gun. And it was inside of me and I'm going, okay. Again, you and I both talked. I know we're both Christians. And I, and I was listening. I'm going, okay, man, this, 
God, are you talking to me here for a second? You know, I'm thinking so much about sponsorships. And so finally, you know, in Colorado, you can take your gun with you, with your bow. Um, and I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to listen to this voice. So I took it. Three times on the way to that blind, the trail splits. If you go to the right, it's pruned. You know, the rocks are off. We've, we've keep, kept it really nice. But if you go to the left, it's overgrown. It's more of a game trail, all that kind of stuff. And I felt this voice say to me when I got to the first one, man, I want you to go left. And I'm going, why would I go left? The right side is pruned. This voice said, do you trust me? I'm like, yeah, all right, well, whatever. So I go to the left. Three times this happened. Every single time I went left. When I got to the blind, I was a little bit irritated. To be honest with you, I was like, you know, God, if this is you, why are you telling me? It's because I'm getting in my blind and it's getting light out. I'm a little bit upset here. When I got to that blind, the blind was totally flattened. My elk decoy was taken out. My chair, my, my scent control bottle was all chewed up. Big pile of still steaming bear dumb laying right in front of the blind. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, he was just here. So I, I, I'm trying to get the hubs put together. He had just torn it and smashed it. And the fiberglass you know, limbs were, were cracked. And I get inside. I lay my bow down on one side, lay my gun down on the other side. And I went ahead and I went ahead and I don't know why, but I went ahead and jacked a shell into my gun. But I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be fine here. It's getting light out. I look out the windows. I'm putting it back together. And here comes the bear out of the out of the uh, oak scrub, full speed coming right at me. I'm, I'm trying to put the blind back together. In that second, I grabbed my 30-06, literally pulled it up. All I could see was brown, pulled the trigger, dropped him right in front of me. You know, it was just one of those. And then my, it took about 30 seconds, and I realized what had happened, and my hand started shaking. I didn't want to take him with a gun. You know, I'm a bow hunter. My, it doesn't do me any good. Now I'm, I can't be doing, you know, of course, the, 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 the hero pose, all that kind of stuff, because you want to send it into bear. Hey, look at this. And it ended up being not what I expected. But it was just one of those moments where I had to get my pride, my ego, you know, out of the way. And in that moment, I mean, was I fully alive? Well, I am now. I mean, I'm glad I, I made it through that. But it was just one of those. If we walk into a story thinking that we have everything scripted out, here's how we're going to do it. We were talking about shooting 180 inch deer as opposed to 120. It never always happens the way we think it's going to happen. But if we're open to what we're doing when we go out there with, with anything that's coming up, it just makes the story so much more inviting, so much more adventurous. And I can't wait. You know, I'll be back out there again this fall. I've been I, actually I've been charged twice in Colorado by bears. Um, and one time was just with my bow. Um, I'm picking his hide up here in about three days at the taxidermist. But, man, I just want to encourage, you know, all you guys out there. You're not going to take anything if you don't get out there. You're not going to take anything with your kid if he's sitting on the Xbox or PlayStation all day long. The Fred Bear way, get him out. Get him away from all the technology. Get him out where they come alive, where you guys can have conversations because those stories are what's going to last. When my dad passed away, he'd had a massive stroke. It was those stories that I sat by his bed from hunting and went through one story after another after another. And I could just see a little bit of emotion come out after the stroke that it meant something. So, yeah, the Fred Bear way, it's about life. It's about adventure. It's about relationships, not just the kill or the size of the animal. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, one time I I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Willems. Uh, he was at the time he was the president of Pope and Young and he was on this hunt in, in Alaska and shot this giant bear. The video went pretty viral for a while, but shot this giant bear. 
and the bear turns and charges him in the, the outfit and the, the, they had to shoot it with a gun. And so because he shot it with a gun, it couldn't be entered into Pope and young. Well, this is the president of Pope and young, uh, who just shot a Boone and Crockett worthy bear with his bow, but couldn't enter it into Pope and young anyways. Um, same deal, you know, same, same sort of deal where he was like, man, you know, I felt like, dude, I came here to shoot a, a, a Boone and Crockett level bear with my bow. And now it's not even, it can't even be registered as a bow kill because, and, and, yeah, same sort of deal, but at the same time, like, yeah, but you're alive. Like, yeah. A, you're alive, and B, you still have a giant bear that everybody else knows you shot with your recurve. You you got within, you know, recurve yardage, and you shot it with your recurve, and everybody knows that. You saw it in the video. Um, and it would have died. You know, I mean, it was a perfect shot. It was going to die. It's not like you didn't kill it. You just had to finish it off a little earlier with a, a gun. Um, but, yeah, same sort of deal. Uh, before we go, I got to give one more thank you to our friends over at Selway Archery. Um, if you are a traditional archer, Selway makes the very finest traditional quivers, especially in the Grayling quiver, um, which is Bear Archery branded. Uh, you can get those on Bear Archery's website. You can find those on Selway's website. You can find some beautiful uh, hood, uh, leather hooded quivers on Selway. Um, I've gotten the question so many times. I posted a video not too long ago of my Kodiak Hunter and it had a Razorback branded quiver on it. And, and I've got that question 20 times of where I can get that quiver. Um, a, it was custom made by Selway Archery. B, they can make you one with a Razorback on it. They can also make it with anything you want on it. I've got one with the Hunting 101 logo on it. Go check out Selway Archery. They make the finest uh, traditional quivers on planet Earth. Brent, I ask every single one of my guests. I ask every guest, uh, what's one field note? You know, Fred was big on his field notes. What's one field note you've taken over the years? Just a, a quick tip or trick um, that I can take and put in my back pocket and make myself a better hunter with. You know, I think we all do a pretty good job with scent control. You know, at this point, I think we all know how to play the wind. And I think, you know, there's a lot of great scent control products out there. We all know not to, you know, be, you know, eating in the diner or pumping gas in the boots we're wearing in the woods, all that kind of stuff. But I think one of the things that, that gets neglected a lot is how whitetails, all cloven hooked animals, honestly, see. You know, they only see blue and yellow. And if you've got UV dyes and brighteners in your clothing, which most most guys either they don't understand the research or they don't even know about UV dyes and brighteners. If you have them in your garment, because when when that garment is made, especially if it's made outside of the United States, most times they put UV dyes and brighteners in that garment, which means it is now glowing blue in the first hour and last hour of daylight. So get a black light, check your camo, see if it's glowing blue. And then there's products out there. I know there's one called UV killer that they make that you can put on there, which will get that out of there. So, because honestly, they see you just like the way you and I see blaze orange, they see you glowing blue in low light conditions more than you and I see blaze orange. That's what science yeah. has proven. Yeah, I um I saw a study and I think it was one made by Dead Downwind, um, a UV killer made by Dead Downwind. But they sprayed it all over. They, I'm sorry, they had somebody walk in front of a trail camera at night. And you know, when you get a picture of somebody on trail camera at night, yeah. they're glowing, they're bright um, for that very reason. They sprayed down just the backpack and then they walked back in front of the trail camera. They were still bright and glowing. The backpack wasn't. Um, and I'm not raving about this product. I've never used it. I cannot speak to it at all, but I can speak to, to UV killing like Brent is. Yeah. Um, they then sprayed the whole body and walked in front and everything was dull. 
um, you could still see the the person because of the quality of the trail camera, but uh, they weren't glowing. They weren't bright like in the first picture. Um, and yeah, I it's something that goes neglected a lot. Everybody talks about scent control. Everybody talks about wind direction. Everybody talks about thermals. Um, but I I do believe that that it goes un addressed too much yeah. i will say the company that made that was a company called atsko atsko they make a lot of like snow seal the waterproofing that you might put on your leather boots same company but it's true when you spray that on and you put it in front of a uv light it takes all that blue glow out of it so yeah check your camouflage yeah absolutely that's a great tip man i have a new tip um i don't share one every episode i only share one when i come up with one and i came up with one this last week I uh, was getting my Kodiak Hunter ready to take out to the woods. So this is a traditional archery tip. Um, and I was getting kind of my pack ready. That I, And I usually put a bow square in there just in case anything happens in the field. I can replace the string. Um, so I always keep a backup string. The knock's already set and all that good stuff. So if anything happens to my string, I can just put it back on. And I thought, I can eliminate this bow square. I can eliminate the need to carry a bow square. So I took out the last arrow on my quiver. I put the knock up against the grip and I just put a Sharpie, a silver Sharpie mark on the arrow where my string crosses. Um, that way, whenever I am in the field, if something does happen to my string and I've got to put a new one on, I can just pull that arrow out, set it on the string and make sure it's crossing where it needs to cross. And then I know my brace height is set. Um, super simple tip, uh, but it, it, in my opinion, has eliminated the need to have something in my backpack and uh, it's going to work just as well. So, um, yeah, think about it. Give it a try. Um, what, uh, where's your first turkey hunt? Did, did you say you're coming to Kansas to turkey hunt? No, I hunted out there a few years ago, not far from Hutchinson. Took a real nice, taking a couple turkeys out there, but this one will be in Indiana. I'll be over in Park County, which Park County, Indiana is one of the top counties for whitetail as well. But man, the turkey population here in Indiana has exploded in the last decade. So really, yeah. yeah speaking of turkey hunting, um, and Chris Parrish, I was, uh, talking with him not so long ago, he was on a pod. We, he was on this podcast, and uh, and he said, "Man, I'll tell you, I'm just super passionate now about calling birds in for other people to shoot." And uh, and he had already mentioned he's coming to Kansas here in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, "Well, Chris, you know, I really I want to give you what makes you happy, so you can come call birds for me anytime." You want, <laughs> he's a you great know? because caller. because I care about you because because you're passionate about it. You can call birds for me anytime you want, and uh, hopefully we get to hook up. Uh, and go turkey hunting here in a couple of weeks because I would absolutely love to shoot a bird with Chris. Uh, he's a, he's an amazing caller. You can see some of his videos if you go online. You'll even see him on there talking and doing some calling. Yeah, he's phenomenal from what I hear. Um, I am just – I'm one of those guys that suck so bad at calling. Like I hear people, I'm like, sounds good. You know, it doesn't matter to me because uh, it sounds better than what I can do. It's it's fun to learn how to communicate with birds, even during whitetails. When I'm walking – here's another tip for you. When I'm walking to my tree stand, you know, many times, you know, I'm not doing the normal walking pattern that a lot of guys would do. You know, I'm, I'm, I've actually, there's a, there's a new product I've been using. I'm not trying to sell this here, but it's called Cougar Paws. It's something you can put on the bottom of your boots and it really makes it a lot quieter when you're walking. But what I try not to do is make that pattern walking. I also necessarily don't want to sound like I'm trying to stalk either. You know, like they know that, that, that difference, a white tail nose. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be scratching with my foot like a turkey would and I'm you're just kind of talking as I go. When I fly up in my tree many times, if I make a noise, I'll take my hat off and I'll slap it on my leg like it's a fly down. You know, 
And I've had deer bedded that I've watched once I got up there that were looking. And as soon as I did that, they were cool because they really do. Turkey and deer pay attention to each other. Very good tip. Very good tip. I, uh, I have fallen in love with a product. They're called ancient, um, and they're moccasins. I call them stockasins because they're made for quiet walking. Um, but they're dead quiet, man, when you walk. And, uh, <laughs> when I first got them, I put them on and, and I'm like, Chrissy, my, that's my wife. I'm like, you can't even hear me, girl. Like I can walk around the whole house. And she's like, shut up. You know, like just another hunting product, take it downstairs. And, uh, and so for like two weeks straight, I was wearing them through the house, just sneaking up on her, scared her. And I'm like, these are great. You can't even hear me. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. So no, that's a, a, fen- a phenomenal tip. I've never thought about that. I have heard of people, um, you know, deer, when they find a sequence of noise, that's what really messes them up. Yeah. Um, like if they constantly hear something, that's what really messes up. But if they hear just a, you know, a, a, a big bang or, a, a, you know, you hit your bow on something, stuff falls in the woods, stuff breaks that's in right. the woods all the time. Um, so I found like somebody said, like, if you need to, um, like, cough or something, you know, we always have that like itching cough or oh, mm-hmm. crap, I got to get this out. He's like, literally like bang on your tree stand and cough and, and then stop, you know, but if you sit there for two hours trying to fight it and it's a <laughs> every, every four minutes, you know, sure you're being quieter, but if you just get everything out in that one initial, and then you just go back to being quiet, you know, deer are used to hearing stuff, you know, hedge apples fall out of a tree or yes. a tree breaking and bending over, or, you know, you name it, a train going by or a plane flying. They're used to like one big loud noise, uh, but they're not used to, you know, continuous noise, a continuous making of noise, which is why when we walk through the woods, you know, take a couple steps and stop for a minute. Don't just keep, they're not used to that. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, so, I yeah. keep a mouth call tucked in the side of my mouth. So if, if I am going to be, you know, going to be getting ready to take a shot, you know, if I want my deer call, if I have the, 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 you know, the call tucked in the side of my mouth, I can still use my grunt tube or whatever I want. But if I'm getting ready and I make some noise and, he, and he's like, what was that? I, I can just start talking a little bit. And it's like, you'll see his tail wag a little bit, go back down and he'll go back to feeding because that's what he's used to. It must have been a turkey. Phenomenal tip, man. Phenomenal tip. I, I've really never thought of that. And that's a great tip. Um I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it with like a wounded rabbit call and just scare the mess out of her. (laughs) (laughs) No, my wife, going back, I got a three-year-old boy and he's just phenomenal. He's all about it right now. And, uh, and he had a a wounded rabbit call. Uh, I like to keep him in the spring, uh, especially when I'm out turkey hunting because you see a coyote start screaming at him, they'll come in. But anyways, uh, my wife was like in her bathroom getting ready and, and he had, hid that behind his back and he walked in and got right behind her and then just like squealed in it like crazy and scared her to death. I thought it was awesome. Uh, but <laughs> I was a little proud of him in that moment. I was going to say, but, you should video some of this stuff where they're doing these things and go viral for you. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, before we go, one more quick thank you to our friends over at Wise Eye Technology. Um, Wise Eye is, in my opinion, the very smartest trail camera you could ever possibly get. We've all grown familiar with cellular trail cameras, and Wise Eye just simply does it better. Uh, in my opinion, you can open the Hunt Control app, and what Wise Eye does is it works with the Hunt Control app to divide out all of your deer um, by antler recognition technology. So if I've named a deer Sticks or the Big Eight, 
I can go in and look at that folder of every time he was in on wind directions, moon phases, temperatures, and I can really work to pattern that deer. Um, and I can just look at the photos of him. I also don't have to sit to shift through, you know, thousands of pictures of does and coons and, and coyotes. I can just see the bucks that I want to see. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal product uh, with Wise Eye technology. So go check them out. Also, you can run there, which a lot of trail cameras have this, but uh, you can run their solar panels and then you don't have to ever go in and check your trail cameras um, because you can check them all from the app. And you don't have to go change batteries. Go check out Wise Eye Technology. Brent, thank you so much for coming on, man. I absolutely can't wait to hear of your turkey success. I can't wait to hear of your your elk success. Um, where where are you at in Colorado elk hunting? I'll be uh, about an hour west of well, southwest of of Walsenburg, which is south of Pueblo. It's you know, it's not that far away from you were talking about uh, Eisner out there. It's not too far away from from his property, but it's it's pretty close to Big Sheep Mountain. Um, awesome it's an awesome awesome place a lot of bear real i love bear oh, hunting yeah. oh my I gosh i love bear hunting one year i saw 24 and you can't bait and i saw 24 bear in a week really yeah this the area where i hunt is loaded so yeah so, i can't wait so you always have a bear tag i'm sure i always get a bear tag yep what so do you see more bears than elk no oh no no, I'll see. I mean, I'll be sitting there glassing, you know, and I'll see them coming out. You'll see hundreds sometimes coming out of the mountains in groups, but yeah. Oh man. I absolutely, I I've just become obsessed with bears. Um, and it sucks because I grew up in Northwest Arkansas where there's some decent bear hunting and I never, it never even crossed my radar. Like it never even, I never, never dawned on me. And then I get to college and, and I'm like, I want to go bear hunting. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I had bears my whole life in Arkansas. And so now I travel to, you know, Colorado, Idaho, Maine to bear hunt. And I'm like, I could have been doing this my whole life. And I didn't. <laughs> oh, I got charged. I shot one, you know, I had my, what did I shoot it with? I had my, um, Oh, my Kuma, uh, two years ago, a Kuma LD. And I shot it. I had a 460 green arrow. I was shooting an FMJ an Eastern FMJ. It was a real heavy arrow. And this bear comes up at 32 yards, walking through this little bit of a field in between the oak scrub. And I pinwheeled him at 32 yards. And the setup was perfect. The sun was in his face. The wind is in my face. So it was perfect. That bear knew where the arrow came. Full charge, 32 yards, went within three feet of me. But I had on leafy camo, just kind of blowing in the wind. And I stayed at full draw. I never moved. I just stayed with my arm up. That bear ran right by me. And my buddy was about 80 yards up the hill from me. And I had been calling elk. And and he heard me go, man, you know, to do that little stop to get that bear to stop where I wanted it. And he heard that, that smack of the arrow hit. So he waits about 10 minutes, comes walking down. And the arrow is like eight feet away from me in front of me. He goes, how big was the elk? I said, it was. And I said, it was a nice bear, a real nice black bear. And he says, there's your arrow. He goes, you shot him at eight feet? I said, no, at 32 yards. I said, look, the blood trail walked right by me. The story, the story, wow. the story. That's what it's about. That's awesome. I had a friend one time we were sitting there hunting and uh, he was filming for me. We had a, a beaver walk by and uh, it was walking at a fast pace. And my friend goes, Merrick. And I'm like, dude, that doesn't work on beavers, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> the beaver just never even slowed down. I looked at him and he looked at me like, why didn't that work? And I'm like, it doesn't work on beavers, you moron. Oh and my the beaver God. just kept walking. Jeez. It was hilarious. 
Brent, thank you so much for coming on, man. I can't thank you enough for your time. I can't thank you enough for all that you do for Bear Archery. Thank you for representing. Thank you for living life the Fred Bear way and for representing the Fred Bear way in a way that I truly believe would make him proud. It is an honor. Thank you. Guys, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Good luck out there in the turkey woods. Thank you.